You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. 1 Samuel chapter 26, we're going to look at 26 to 28 tonight. We are in that section of 1 Samuel where David is on the run from Saul. And he has been uh, for a little while now. He's been attacked and pursued by this madman Saul who is continually getting more insane. And we left off in chapter 25 with David having just come through a great time of victory in chapter 24 where he resisted the temptation to kill Saul. He had him right there in a cave, the perfect opportunity, and he resisted the temptation and he said, far be it from me to touch the Lord's anointed. And then right after that, he's angered, he's irritated by this man named Nabal who wouldn't help in their time of need, who wouldn't give him and his men some food. And David was just incensed because they had helped this guy with his sheep and and, and had done some work for him. And David was just like, how ungrateful and what an idiot. And and he was just fired up. And so he was going to take this guy's life. And then Abigail, who was just a precious woman who was married to a fool, She came and she interceded for her foolish husband and she talked David out of it. And then God ended up taking Nabal's life for David. And it's a great lesson for us that when we just let God handle stuff, when when we don't try to do it ourselves, we don't get in his way, we let God do his thing, then he takes care of it and it's not on us. And God took care of Nabal And so all of a sudden, Abigail's a single woman. She's free. So David, recognizing just her beauty, not only outwardly, but inwardly, and the wisdom and and the just love of the Lord that she had, um, David took her as his wife. And so that's where we left off. Chapter 26, verse 1. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah. Now why David is back in the area of Ziph is kind of beyond me because when he was there before, they turned their back on David and they turned him into Saul, but he's there again. And now they're turning David into Saul once again. They're, they're basically turning their backs on David and they are... Uh, giving information to Saul as to the whereabouts of David. And they say to Saul, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And so Saul has David outnumbered basically five to one. And Saul encamped in the hill at Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, 
the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. And so you understand the scene. David waits till all the men of Saul are asleep. They're, they're camping. They're all laid out around Saul. He's in the midst of the camp. And David sends out spies to, to see what's going on. And David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zariah, brother, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. There's one thing that's certain about David, even though he makes a lot of mistakes, David is a phenomenal leader. And one thing that David understands is that if there's something that needs to be done as a leader that's difficult, you just take care of it. He didn't ask uh, his other guys to just go take care of it. He, he didn't say, hey, you know what? I'm important to this group. If I die, what are we? I'm supposed to be the king. This was a risky situation. This was dangerous. And David went himself and he brought one other person with him. And Abishai said to David as they approached the camp and, and there's Saul laying there with a spear next to his head. Saul didn't leave home without his spear in case he wanted to throw it at somebody. Remember, he's thrown it at David every chance he gets. He's thrown it at his own son, Jonathan. He doesn't leave home without it. Apparently, he doesn't sleep without it. It's like a teddy bear. It's right there by him. And, and this is a perfect opportunity. And Abishai said to David, Hey, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. This is very similar to what happened in chapter 24 when David's men said, look, here's our opportunity. We can kill him. And this is a very tempting situation to David. Very tempting situation. To take things in to his own hands. And, and we learned about temptation on Sunday morning. When Jesus was tempted to, to really, in a lot of ways, do the right thing, but in the wrong way. We saw that Satan tempted him to turn stones into bread, which there was nothing wrong with Jesus eating. In fact, if he didn't eat, he was going to die. That wasn't the issue. It was just going about it the wrong way. Or how about the fact that Jesus had come to redeem the world. He had come to, to, to take all of the authorities and the power and to have it bow down to him to become the, the king of this world. There was nothing wrong with what Satan was offering him. It was the way Satan wanted him to go about it. Bow down and worship me. And so doing the right thing, but in the wrong way. And the same thing here. Abishai says, look, it's the right thing. Saul deserves to die. Clearly he did. Clearly God's hand of blessing was off of him. He was no longer the king. He deserved to die. There was no question about that. The guy was a complete fool. He had disobeyed God. 
He was out of the will of God. He was a danger to the people of Israel. Clearly, there was nothing wrong with what Abishai wanted to do in the sense that Saul deserved to die. It was the way that they were going to go about it, taking matters into their own hands. And David recognizes this. He recognizes it, and he said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Now, I wonder if the lesson that David learned with Nabal is is not coming to pass here. Because I think that if the experience that David had with Nabal hadn't happened, that David would have been even more tempted to kill Saul at this point. He had already passed up the temptation once. And this would have been the perfect opportunity. And I think that, that David had learned a lot in watching God work in the situation with Nabal in chapter 25. Because look what David says in verse 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. And so David recognized that God was going to take care of this, just like he did with Nabal. There, there was no need for them to take things into their own hands. God would protect them. And you guys, in our lives, it's very easy for us to do the right thing, but go about it in the wrong way. To take matters into our own hands, to make it happen, to launch out into our flesh. God wants to work through us, but he doesn't want us to get in the way of that work. We just need to to step aside and let God flow through us. And that's all he asks of us, is to to be an empty vessel, to be a conduit through which he can work and and through which he can flow. And, And I've said it many times, but I think the illustration is so clear that when you think about water pipes, they're very important to all of us. When you turn on the the faucet, you expect water to come out. But you don't really give any thought to the fact that water is flowing all through your house through these different pipes. And if your pipes freeze and they break or if you have a problem with your plumbing, all of a sudden you you notice the pipes. They they become real conspicuous. There's something that is at the top of your mind. But other than that, you never give any thought to the pipes in your house. They're not supposed to be a big deal. And, and we're kind of like that. We're a lot like the pipes in our house. We're not supposed to draw attention to ourselves. We're not supposed to be the focus. God just wants to flow through us. And in order for that to happen, we have to get out of the way and allow the right thing to happen in the right way, in the right time. And see, when we launch out in, in impatience, trying to make it happen, then, then we often screw it up. And, and we, we make it uh, into a disaster rather than a blessing. But David recognized, having learned 
a huge and valuable lesson with Nabal. And, and praise the Lord for those Nabal experiences. And, and like I, I said last time when we were in 1 Samuel, it's very often the Nabals that trip us up. If you haven't noticed that. It's, it's very often the small things, the little things, the little irritants that really trip us up. We can handle the Saul's. I mean, David has handled this situation with Saul beautifully. But then it was Nabal that just made him go through the roof. But thankfully, God used Abigail to, to curb his emotions and to keep him from doing something stupid. But thank the Lord for those experiences and, and those in-between times when we're going through big things and, and you have victory and, and as you're coming out of that, there's little experiences that God teaches us with, like the Nabal experiences. And so David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you? Calling out to the king. So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. And so David is, is taunting Abner. He's basically saying, look, we snuck in. We took his spear and his jug. We could have killed him. What kind of bodyguard are you? I, I care more about Saul than you do. If I wanted to kill him, I could have. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And one thing that has absolutely blown me away about David in this experience with Saul is the respect that he shows to Saul. Because I, I kind of think about myself and I think, Okay, maybe I could have obeyed the Lord and, and not killed Saul. Given the temptation, the couple opportunities he had, okay, I, I could have just really, you know, buckled down and, and really avoided that. But those face-to-face -face encounters that David has had with Saul, I think those would have been the opportunities that I would have given Saul a piece of my mind. I would have been like, hey, Saul, I could have killed you two times now, which pretty much means... I'm superior to you and, and that God has his hand on me and that you're an idiot and I'm not. And, you know, I would have just given him an absolute talking to, you know, like, come on, dude. Why don't you just give up chasing me and, and just go home? But David continues to show respect to him. And that, 
I think is a, a real valuable lesson to us of, of just being loving and gracious and respectful to people who are our enemies, to speak with kindness to people who are hurting us. And David said, Why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. And so David basically says, look, if I'm in the wrong, Saul, then let's get it out. I'll I'll deal with it. I'll, I'll deal with the Lord. If I'm, if I'm wronged, then, then we'll offer a sacrifice and we'll get this over with. But Saul, if you're just listening to people and if you're responding to the fear of men and to your own paranoia, then you need to repent because I'm being driven out from my own people. David's saying I'm being forced to to worship false gods. And and he's being a little dramatic, but basically what he's saying is, I have nowhere to worship because I'm being forced into the wilderness among pagan people. There's no temple. There's no place for me to worship God. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. David is just saying, look, Saul, this is ridiculous. Let's be done with this. Please don't kill me. And then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Now, I don't think this is sincere at all from Saul. I think he recognizes that he's wrong, but I don't think this is sincere repentance any more than Judas sincerely repented. Judas and Saul have a lot in common. They both recognized that they made mistakes and that they made foolish decisions, but they didn't turn to the Lord. Judas went out and hung himself. He didn't turn to Jesus like Peter did. And Saul, here, he doesn't turn to the Lord. He doesn't offer a sacrifice. He doesn't repent. He just recognizes that he's a foolish man, but he does nothing with it. And it's not good enough, you guys, to just recognize that you're a sinner or as a Christian to recognize that you've made poor choices and that you've sinned. You have to take it to the Lord. You have to confess it. You have to repent and turn away from it and allow God to deal with you. Otherwise, you're just recognizing that you're wrong, and that isn't enough. It's a good start, but we've got to take that to the Lord. And Saul says, I have played the fool. And biblically, a fool 
is one that despises God, is one that says there is no God. And Saul has lived his life. The majority of the Bible's recording of Saul's life has been a situation where Saul has denied the Lord. Certainly he believes in God. He doesn't question God's existence, but basically by his actions, he's saying, I'm not accountable to God. I don't have to obey God. I don't have to do what God says. And that's what it means to deny God. That's what it means when the Bible says, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It basically means that a foolish person is one that says, I'm not accountable to God. I don't have to live my life in such a way that I'm obedient to the Lord. I can do what I want, and there's no repercussion for that. That's how Saul's lived his life, and that's a foolish way to live. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Notice David doesn't say, let my life be valuable to you, to you and to your eyes. He says, let my life be valuable to the Lord. David recognized that God was his protection. He didn't care if Saul valued his life or not. I think at this point, David recognizes we're way beyond that. But, but God, continue to protect me. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. And so whatever amount of time transpired here, David begins to allow the enemy to come in and to speak lies into his life. David allows the enemy to come in and to discourage him. They had this amazing encounter across the canyon in the dark as they're shouting to one another. And I think it was pretty clear that, that Saul had basically given up. Now, to David's credit, Saul is insane. He's a psychopath and probably shouldn't be trusted. But David has seen God protect him time and again. All these times that Saul has thrown a spear at him and not been able to kill him is just amazing. Like I've said, you're in a living room and you throw a spear and you miss two, three times, I mean, God's hands on David. Saul's got 3,000 soldiers combing the wilderness. They can't find David. God's hand has been on David's life, clearly. But like we all do, David began to let his emotions take over. And he began to get discouraged. And he just said, you know what? I'm going to die at the hands of Saul. It's pretty much the way my life's going to end. 
There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. David's emotions, David's discouragement is going to lead him to make some really bad choices. And know that what you say to yourself and what you say in your heart will lead to wrong decisions. You have to reject that thinking. That's why the the Bible says that the word of God, it it shapes our mind, that, that we have to to allow the the word to convert our minds and and to change our thinking. That that we have to think rightly. And that if we allow our minds to be focused on something and and to stay on that, that we begin to believe it and it begins to, to actually change our decision-making, it begins to affect the way that we live our lives. And clearly, that's what we see with David. He's dwelling on this. He's, he's focused on it. He's not allowing God to renew his thinking. He's not allowing his thoughts and his mind to be shaped by the word and and by the promises of God and by the faithfulness of God in the past. He's allowing his mind to completely focus on the lies of the enemy. And that is is so easy for us to do. Right now, you you turn on the news and, and the prognosticators are saying that our economy is, is going to collapse, that unemployment is going to be unprecedented, that inflation is, is going to go through the roof, that uh, wages are going to go down. And, and you know what? These things could be true. They very well may be true. We could see 25% unemployment. Fact is, we really don't know. The fact is, is that there's nothing we can do about it. But if we allow our mind to just focus on that and think, okay, I got to take this into my own hands. I got to do something. I got to go and, and take care of this. Now, clearly, we need to use wisdom and make good choices financially. But if you just think on that and focus on that and get discouraged, and pretty soon it's going to make you have wrong thinking which will will lead you to make wrong decisions and that's what david does here he now escapes to the philistines to to the land of his enemies to pursue protection for himself and here's the thing that although david was vulnerable in israel he was better off in a vulnerable situation right in the midst of God's will than he was in, in the land of the Philistines outside of God's will. And, and you might think, I've got to get out of this situation. I've got to get out of this circumstance. But you're better off to be where God wants you. Even though it seems crazy and even though it seems dangerous and even though 
everything within you says, I've got to flee. I've got to run away. I've got to do this on my own. You have to know that even in difficult, vulnerable, tough situations, as long as you're in the will of God, you're better off. Just like David was. God protected him all of this time, fleeing from Saul in the wilderness when, when he should have been dead. And, and yet he didn't remember that. You guys, we have to remember the faithfulness of God in the past. We have to be reminded of what God has done for us and his promises to us in those times of difficulty. And we all have those times where we're discouraged, where we want to give up, especially in ministry. And many of you are involved in ministry. And many of you are, are involved in, in important aspects of, of ministry within this church. And it's very diff, difficult at times, especially when you don't see any fruit, especially when you don't think that people appreciate you, especially when, when you don't really see God working and it just seems like nothing is happening. And it's easy to focus on that and to think, you know what? What am I even doing? I'm just wasting my time. I'm going to quit. Nobody cares. Nobody appreciates what I'm doing. I don't see any fruit. Obviously, I'd be better off just to run away, to flee. And that's what David does. He allows his emotions to control his life. And then David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. And so he's back in Gath, where he had pretended madness before all of this began. And he fleed to the cave of Adullam, barely surviving. And now he runs back there to the area of his enemies. David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And notice this, that David's decision-making, his poor decision-making, not only affected him, but it affected the men that were under him, and it affected all of their families and David's family as well. And as leaders, men, as, as leaders in your households, know that your decision-making doesn't only affect you. It affects your families. It affects those people under you. And it can have catastrophic results in others' lives. Now, why would Achish take David in when he almost killed him before? And the only thing that you can reconcile is that Achish wasn't sure that David was on his side beforehand. But now they, they have a clearly defined common enemy, Saul. Both of them hate Saul. Both of them, or David doesn't necessarily hate Saul, but, but both of them have an enemy. In Saul, and I think Achish recognizes, after all that David's been through, that that David is one he can trust. At least he thinks so.
And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. And so David's plan does work. Going to the land of the Philistines does work, yet God would have protected him if he would have just stayed right where he was. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And it's a sad day to see David, the next king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, calling himself the servant of the enemy of God. And David plans on staying here a while. He says, look, give me a place I can dwell. Give me a city of my own. So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. So 16 months David dwells there with Achish in Ziklag. And David and his men went up and raided the Jeshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but he took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeremites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. And so David is now living with the enemies. He's become a criminal a raider, a thief, a murderer, and a deceiver. Because basically what he's doing is he's going out into these areas that were kind of in the land of Israel, but they were areas that the Israelites never occupied. The places where you remember that were given to them when Joshua apportioned the land This was area that they were given and that they had victory over, but they just never entered into. They said, ah, we don't care. We don't want it. And so David is on the one hand saying to Achish, look, I'm going out against my own people. I'm killing them all. Look what I've brought back. And so it looks like in Achish's eyes that this guy is willing to do anything. He's proven himself. He's even an enemy of his own people. The reason why David kills women in men is so that there's no survivors, so they can't go back to Gath and say, look, we're really not Israelites. David's really not what he's presenting himself to be. And so he's deceiving Achish. He's living a lie. He's become a a criminal, a murderer, And and these are really the roots of of deception and taking things into his own hands and and living in the flesh that will really haunt David for 
many years in his life, leading him to, to make probably the highlight poor decision in his life, which was to commit adultery with Bathsheba and to kill her husband, Uriah, and all of the deception that went along with that. And again, it proves to us that you can be a godly man that does stupid things. You can be a godly woman who makes very foolish decisions. And it doesn't happen all at once. And, and David is not dealing with this rebellion toward God. This is clearly not a great time for David spiritually. We don't have any psalms from this period of David's life. There's no psalm that's entitled, When David was living with the Philistines, killing and murdering people, lying to Achish. We don't have any psalms about that. And this was a time where David was living very carnally. And we can fall into that. Just subtly, slowly, but very surely backslide. And, and what does it mean to backslide? It, it, it means that you're really not going forward. Because if you're not going forward with the Lord, then you will go backwards. And, and it's just one little decision here, a compromise there. It, it's, it's not being in the word and not hearing from God. And, and slowly but surely, you don't even know what it is to hear from God anymore. It's not spending time with the Lord. It's not hearing His voice. And, and pretty soon, because you don't even know what it is to hear from God, you don't live in that anticipation. You quit asking God for wisdom. You, you quit pursuing God in, in, in His will for your life. And that's where David's at. Certainly on, on the outside, you would have looked at David and said, God's hands on him. He's being used by the Lord. There's victory. God's protecting him. But David knew in his own heart that he was going about it the wrong way. And, and we're tempted to do that in our own lives. Chapter 28, now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. And so because of David's compromise, he's now being put into a position where he has to put his money where his mouth is. He's been telling Achish all this time, hey, I'm going out and I'm slaughtering Israelites. I'm slaughtering my own people. And so now Achish wants to go and make war. He wants to, to pursue the Israelites, take land for himself. And he's like, David, I need your help. You're behind me, right? You've been doing this all along. This shouldn't be a problem. And now David has to compromise even further and he's been put into a position that he should have never been in. And see, when you place yourself in, in situations and in circumstances where 
you are living in the flesh, sooner or later you're going to come to a place where you have to make decisions that you never thought you would have to make. And you're going to be faced with with choices and with compromises that, that you never anticipated coming to that place. And it's never too late to say, look, I can't do this. I, I don't want this. But it makes it much more difficult when you've been living in deception and living by the flesh all this time. Now Samuel had died. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. And so Samuel had died. He was the, the spiritual leader of Israel. That's, that's basically what the author of 1 Samuel is wanting us to recognize. That the spiritual influence of Israel was gone. That Samuel was dead. And that Saul had put out all of the the mediums, those that consult the dead, kind of like John Edwards on late night TV, crossing over or whatever that's called. That's what a a medium is, one that, that consults the dead. And the spiritists are those that are in tune with the demonic realm, with, with the spirits from the devil. But Saul had put them all out of the land, obeying places like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and the law that says these people should not even live. And so Saul clearly had made some good choices. He had done some things right. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And this is what disobedience to God does. It brings fear. Saul was this courageous man, this guy that said, let's go, we can take him on time and again. But now that the spirit of God has departed from him, he's afraid. He's a shell of himself. And that's what sin will do. That's what disobedience does. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Tragic. God does not speak to Saul anymore. And why is that? Doesn't the Bible say that if if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you? Why isn't God responding to Saul? Why isn't he answering his prayer? Because God's a lot smarter than we are. And we get taken in emotionally by people when they when they say things to us that, that make us believe them and they, they try to convince us that they're sincere when in reality they're not. But Saul isn't going to pull the wool over on God. And God knows exactly where Saul's heart is and he says to Saul, look, I've given you many things to obey and you haven't obeyed me. And so when you can obey me in the things that I've already given you, then I'll give you something new. But I'm not going to speak to you until you turn your heart toward me. And you guys, if you're in rebellion to God, if you're not obeying God in the, the simple things, in the general areas that God has revealed to you, 
if you're basically giving God the finger in, in, in those areas of your life, then don't expect God to speak to you. Don't expect God to give you wisdom. Don't expect God to show you his will. He's not going to give those things to you until you begin to obey him in the things that he's already given. And the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by the Urim or the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. There's a couple things that, that just jump out to me here. One is that Saul, rather than turning his life over to the Lord, rather than saying, God, I repent, I confess my sin, Lord, I've been blowing it, I turn my life over to you, God, please speak to me, God, I beg of you, I surrender my life to you. Rather than doing that, he says, okay, God's not going to speak to me. Let's go find a witch. Let's go find a a woman who consults the dead. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I ran all of them out of the country. Okay, so he goes to his men. Is there any witches around? Are there anybody that, that consults the dead? And they know of one. Now, doesn't it seem odd to you that they didn't turn her in? So obviously they're going to her and and they're taking advantage of the situation. They don't want Saul to know. There's no loyalty with Saul. There's no obedience to his authority. They know right where she's at. They, They tell Saul, yeah, go for it. There she is. So Saul disguised himself because he's so embarrassed and put on other clothes and he went and two men with him. Now know this, if you're making a decision that you wouldn't want put on a billboard, you're making a wrong decision. If you're making a decision that you wouldn't want other people to know, you're making a bad decision. Saul is sneaking around. He's disguising himself because he doesn't want anybody to know. He's living a secret life. And you guys, if if that's going on in your own heart, in your own life, know that you need to turn from that, that there's no good that will come from that at all. And he came to this woman by night. Again, much of the, the things of sin and the things of our flesh take place in the darkness, take place in in secret, take place when no one is looking. He comes at night and he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? So she's feeling this guy out. Is, is, is this like a, a government sting operation or what? And Saul swore to her by the Lord saying, Look, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So Saul is conveniently using God to put a stamp of approval on what he's doing. Isn't that a tragedy? 
to bring up the Lord's name, to bring up God's presence, to bring up the word of God when it's convenient, but your entire life has nothing to do with those things. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. So this whole thing is that he wants to talk to Samuel. This has been Saul's only connection to God has been Samuel. And you know what? If your connection to God, you guys, is through me or through the, the corporate worship service and our corporate worship times, if your connection to God is through a man other than Jesus... Then, then you really are in a dangerous place. Because Jesus is the only mediator between God and men. Saul didn't need Samuel. Saul didn't have to go to Samuel. But that was his only connection to God because he never had a personal relationship with him. He, he never had that personal connection with the Lord. And it's very easy to fall into that trap to deceive yourself into thinking that you have a personal relationship with the Lord when in fact your connection with God is through somebody else. That the only time you hear from God is when I teach you the Bible. And that's not good. You've got to hear from the Lord on your own, personally and devotionally. Now, obviously, our times of corporate Bible study are important and, and, and it's good for you to, to learn the word. But you don't need me. Tonight, and I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say this to be morbid or anything else, but I, I mean, I could drive home and get into a car accident. I could be dead. This, this church um, should not be your savior. I don't want your life to, to revolve around and to, to be focused on the church. I want your life to be focused on Jesus. Because if, if I or any of the leaders here cease to exist, I don't want you to be like Saul, scrambling to find Samuel. Where is he? I can't hear from God apart from Samuel and, and doing crazy stuff to try to invoke the presence of Samuel. And people do stuff like that. And, and you guys, if, if you're looking to a man, know that men will always let you down. I'll let you down. And I think about the, the pastor that, that led me to the Lord. And I, and I look at where his life is at right now. And, and it's very easy for me to just get really tripped out by that to think this is the guy that led me to the lord that discipled me that gave me the passion i have for ministry and he's not involved in ministry he left his wife he's not walking with the lord and see if my eyes are focused on him then it's going to be a distraction to me it's going it's going to take me down a road i don't need or want to go and see, Saul didn't need Samuel. He just needed to turn to the Lord. We don't need a person. We, we need Jesus. And 
When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Obviously, this lady was not expecting to see Samuel. And I think a lot of these mediums and these people that supposedly speak to the dead, they are an absolute sham. And if they were ever to actually speak to the dead, you, you would see them just, you know, pee their pants. Because they don't hear anything. They just make stuff up and they're really good at generalizing things and, and figuring stuff out. And, and this lady was, was a con, but she actually encounters Samuel. And she says, why have you deceived me? Apparently Samuel spoke to her and said, look, the guy across the table from you, yeah, that's Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is, the, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now some commentators say that this woman was deceiving Saul, that she really didn't see Samuel. That doesn't seem to line up with the text at all. Others say that this woman was seeing a hallucination. And, and that doesn't seem to line up with the text. The, the only thing that, that seems to line up is that she actually did see Samuel. And, and there's a, a lot of discussion about, well, how does this happen? How, why would God work through this insane scenario? God uses all kinds of things. It doesn't mean that he approves of it. It doesn't mean that God puts his stamp of approval on going to mediums. It's just that God used it in this particular situation. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed For the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. If you remember back in chapter 15, how Saul was specifically told to destroy the Amalekites, every one of them. And yet, he didn't obey God. He took things into his own hands. He did it in his own way. And from there on out, God has had his hand off of Saul. And, and he's given the kingdom to David. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. 
the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. This is basically the end of Saul's life. Saul's last meal, really. In, in the next section that we'll look at next week, Saul kills himself. His life went into such a downward spiral, all starting with disobedience to the Lord, with convenient obedience. God, I'm going to obey you in what makes sense to me, but in what doesn't make sense, I'm going to do it my own way. And God took his hand off of Saul's life, and Saul's life went into a complete downward spiral. There was a vacuum in his life of God's presence. And he made one terrible decision after the other, pursuing David, trying to kill David, going insane, being afraid of everything, being paranoid, being so prideful, consulting a medium, talking to Samuel after he's already been dead and and never occurring to him that this is absolute insanity. And finally, he's going to take his own life. And you guys... Poor decisions lead to more poor decisions and, and being disconnected from God will lead you to places that you never intended to go. And, and there's a real juxtaposition between Saul and David. It's what this book is all about. David clearly has made a lot of stupid choices. He's rebelled against God and he will continue to. David was not perfect, but David consistently turned back to the Lord, where Saul consistently turned away from the Lord, tried to use God conveniently, tried to keep God at arm's length to use him when he needed him, but never wanted that personal, intimate relationship with him. And you guys, if if you've seen your life begin to have that kind of a pattern, where, where you're keeping God at a convenient distance from you, where you can use him when you want him, but you're not totally surrendered to the Lord. You, you don't have a heart to completely and truly obey God. You need to repent from that. You need to turn from that. 
Because that is a Saul tendency. And your life will end up much like Saul. You want to have that close, intimate relationship with the Lord that David had. That's the difference. That's the only difference between David and Saul. And so it really is, who who do we want to be? Who do we want to be like? Do we want to be like David who had a heart for God? Does that mean we work hard? Does that mean we try harder? Does that mean that we go out and try to produce righteousness and fruit on our own? Absolutely not. It means we turn to Jesus. It means we rely upon his grace and his goodness that we recognize with David that we're sinners and that we recognize the blessedness of not having our sins imputed to our account. David looked forward to Jesus. He looked to the cross. He understood that all of the sacrifices and all of the the things that they were doing according to the law were all pointing to Jesus. And he looked ahead to Christ. And we look back to Jesus. And when we make bad decisions, when we sin, when we disobey the Lord, we confess it, we turn from it, we surrender afresh and anew to the Lord. That's what God wants from you, just to stay close to him. That's what he wants, intimacy with you. And if you'll maintain that intimacy, if you'll maintain that relationship, you may have seasons where things are difficult and and you make wrong choices and you do stupid things, but you'll turn back to the Lord and it won't define who you are and you won't become a Saul. Let's stand and pray together. Father, I thank you for this study in the life of David, in the life of Saul. Lord, I, I just pray that we would make application into our own life. That, Lord, we would not just be hearers of your word, God, but we would be doers of your word. Lord, I pray that we would have a heart after you like David did. Lord, I pray as we finish up this book next week that, God, these truths and these principles would radically change our life. Lord, as we we leave here and, and go about the rest of our week, God, may we glorify you. God, may we stay close to you. Lord, may we have a desire to to have an intimate relationship with you the way David did. Lord, do that work in our lives. Lord, we surrender to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.